Hi, I'm going to be preaching from Ephesians chapter 1 today, for those who want to follow along. Anticipation is a bittersweet emotion, I find. On the one hand, it's exciting to see something you like approaching in the distance. Maybe a birthday or an anniversary, a graduation. But even though you're looking forward to this and it's exciting, at the same time there is the frustration that it's not here yet. Generally speaking, it's still worth it. I mean, my wife is expecting a child. And she can't wait to get it out of her. She's anticipating. She's anticipating the birth. And it's going to be a wonderful day when it comes. In the meantime, she's pretty crook. She's a bit frustrated that it's not here yet. Wouldn't it be good, though, if Christ was ruling the world right now? And all the good things of heaven were here on earth. No pain, no suffering, no illness, no evil. Just joy, healing, holiness. An end to the tyranny of sin and death. Satan chained up and locked away for good. That day is coming closer. And it's closer today than it was yesterday. But it's not here yet. All creation groans with the anticipation. But it's all in hand. God is working out his plan. What plan? I'm so glad you asked. What plan? What plan indeed. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Indeed. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. How's that? You're not in God's family just because he has to. He's actually pleased to have you in his home. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished upon us with all wisdom and understanding. And he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the time will have reached their fulfilment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of his glory. Amen. So before 
creation, eh? predestined before creation, before original sin, before Eden, before let there be light came out of God's mouth. God chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. You see, sin is not a part of God's plan. It's not supposed to be a part of our lives. Therefore, where sin is, it must be removed if God's plan is to be acted out. We have to get rid of it. There has to be a way. God chose us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, God doesn't need us, per se. He isn't deficient. God wasn't sitting around in whatever there was before the universe, saying, gee, you know, this Trinity stuff is really good, but there's just something missing. What is it? No, he's fine. He's in perfect relationship with himself. The Father and the Son are one. The Spirit and the Son are one. The Spirit and the Father are one. They're fine. They're happy. Their relationship of love is perfect. God doesn't need us, but he does love us. And that love comes with a desire for us. He wants us. Need versus want. He may not need us, but he does want us. And he expresses that love through adopting us, that we might be with him. That we might be one with Christ as he is one with the Father. Thus, we are predestined to be chosen. The apostles were the first ones to receive that for the praise of his glory. And we receive that eventually from them. Apostle, blessing, apostle, preacher, preaching, inspiring through the generations until it comes down to us. And then generations after us. Entrusted with the gospel, which initially was verbally um, preached and then as years went on and they sort of got the idea that maybe Jesus wasn't coming in their own lifetime they wrote it down and we've got four copies of it they were entrusted with establishing the kingdom of God on earth and you can read about how that went in the book of Acts therefore making God's glory known throughout the earth that all peoples of the earth might praise him So before the creation of the world, God had a plan, which is very useful when you've got a large project, and I don't know any project larger than the universe itself. Every architect uses a blueprint. That plan involved you, me, all of us, being holy and blameless in his sight. That's the plan. A holy people. It involved all of us being predestined to be adopted into God's family. That plan might have been ruined in Eden, but it was restored in Christ. And what the first Adam couldn't do, the second Adam did. Which brings us to the present day. Here and now. We received redemption from our sins through Jesus Christ. As Dad pointed out in the communion, he took our sin upon himself. Our sin got nailed to the cross with Christ. And it stays there. It's dead. It's buried. It's in the tomb. 
The old is gone. The new has come. The old self nailed to that cross. The new self walking out of that tomb in glory. We receive a forgiveness of sins. Once and for all. Who can then condemn us? If we've been forgiven of our sins by the one that we sinned against, who can condemn us? God alone could condemn us, but he has chosen not to. Instead, he has chosen to bestow us with grace and mercy. Therefore, no one can stand and accuse us. We are restored then to God's original plan, new creations, holy and blameless in his sight, by his lavish grace, which covers a multitude of sin. So we are redeemed through Christ, and in him we become holy and blameless in God's sight, restoring us to that original plan that God predestined before creation. We are therefore new creations. Sin is replaced by holiness. Evil is replaced by good. The old is gone, the new has come. Hallelujah! Now this means that we can approach God with confidence. For while we were full of sin, we couldn't. The shame and the guilt would cripple us. And then the presence of God obliterates sin. You'd be goner. But now we can approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence. There is nothing holding us back. The curtain was torn top to bottom. Let us not therefore be shy in approaching him, but act with the boldness and confidence that any son has when approaching their father. Saw an internet meme that said, whatever you do today, do with the confidence of a four-year-old wearing a Batman shirt. Approach God that way. Boldness and confidence. You know who you are and you know who your father is. So this is the ultimate purpose. To bring everything under the headship of Christ. Our redemption, the predestination, the plan, it all brings everything under the headship of Christ. On three different levels. First, there is the personal level where I am brought under the headship of Christ. The Holy Spirit indwelling in my heart, transforming me from the old me to a new me. From glory to glory. My sin has been dealt with. It's not a problem anymore. Now, I'm not saying that I never sin. It's just as well my wife's not here or she'd confirm that. Of course. Mistakes are made. We stumble. We fall. But what direction do we fall in? What direction are we facing? For me, I face the light. My back is no longer turned towards God, but I walk towards him. And if I stumble, I stumble in that direction. And then I get back up because Jesus lifts me up. And then I take the next step. And sometimes I stride with confidence and sometimes I'm crawling on bleeding fingertips. But I'm always moving forward. And one day, one day I'll be there. One day he will finish that great work that he has begun in me. And it will be perfectly complete. 
He brings everything under the headship of Christ. The second level is the community or the church level. We know already that Christ is the head of the church. But how does that headship get expressed? By the equipping of the saints. There are five gifts that are outlaid later on in Ephesians. Paul gets around to this. He talks about five different people that are gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers all bring the church under the headship of Christ. Now it's tempting, and in a lot of churches I see this happening, those five people are popped over in the corner and they do their ministry while I keep the pew warm. But that's not what they are there for. They're not that sort of a gift. Okay, All those five people actually minister the gospel in five different ways. And their job is to equip the saints for ministry. So if you don't feel equipped for a ministry, you've got one of five people you can go and see about that. Okay, we have the Great Commission. Does anyone know what the Great Commission is? Yeah. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. And who does that apply to? All All of us. Guess what apostles will equip you to do? An apostle is someone whose life revolves around that very ministry. They go and plant churches in all kinds of places. They raise up, raise up churches. So if you want to fulfill the Great Commission, you go talk to an apostle and you say, equip me, give me what you've got so I can fulfill that commission as well. Who thinks it's important to hear from God? That's what a prophet does each and every day. They hear from God and they transmit the message they hear. Thus saith the Lord. Stop being a rat bag. Or this will happen. Right? That's, that's like a third of the Old Testament is prophets writing down to Israel, stop being rat bags or Babylon's going to invade. Stop being a rat bag or this will happen. Pharaoh, let my people go or there'll be plagues aplenty. You want to hear from God? You struggle to hear from God? Talk to a prophet about it. Get equipped. You want to share the gospel with your friends and neighbours? Talk to an evangelist and get equipped for it. What's the, what's the greatest commandment? Love God, heart and soul, mind and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Repay evil with good. All of that is pastoral care. You want to do that effectively? Go see your pastor. They'll equip you and you'll be loving like no one's ever loved before. Peter, in his epistles, admonishes the Christians to have a word in season and out of season. To do that, you need an education. And if you want an education, who's the last person on the list? The teacher. Learn the word of God. Understand what you believe and why you believe it and how it all works. So that when people query you, you've got an answer to give them. Instead of just saying, oh, well, you know, church, it's just, you know, it's a a thing I do Sundays and, you know. No. Be convicted by the gospel and convinced of it. Understand it. Figure out how it works. See a teacher about it. Have a word in season and out of season. And when we're doing those five things... We know that we are under the headship of Christ. And that's how Christ's headship in the church works. 
with those ministry gifts. And we have a global level. It's not just this church that's under Christ's headship. It's the church universal. Okay, every denomination... All of them come under the headship of Christ. Missions that are local and national and global. We are included in Christ when we heard the gospel and believed. So therefore, when you hear the gospel and believe it, you too come under the headship of Christ. And this gives us a new identity. We're no longer under our own headship, So therefore we no longer have our old identity. We become saints instead of sinners. We are marked with the Holy Spirit as a deposit until God has finished redeeming his possessions. That Holy Spirit provides us comfort. He's called the comforter because you will be uncomfortable. You will need comfort. He brings us peace that passes beyond understanding. Because the world is chaotic and from where I can see it's getting more chaotic. But it doesn't bother me because I have a peace in my heart. I know at the end of the day, God wins. Jesus returns. Paradise is restored. And all the nonsense that happens up until then can't stop it, can't change it. God will do what God will do. The Holy Spirit comes bearing gifts. They're motivational gifts like prophecy and miracle and wonders and tongues and interpretation. Gifts of ministry that I've already outlaid before. The five ministers. Gifts of personality with administration and helps and mercy and faith. This then is the climax and the purpose of it all. To bring everything in heaven and earth under one headship and that is Christ. Let us then cooperate with God as he transforms the world by equipping his saints with every spiritual gift. And why would you be given a gift if not to use it? But of course, in doing so, we ourselves are transformed. See, because God's gifts are practical gifts. Now, you might look at my physique and think, he's not a very healthy lad, he's a bit chubby around the middle, right? If you give me a tool like, say, a shovel for gardening and I use it every day, do you think I'll have the same physique I've got now? No, daily exercise would change that, right? It's the same with God's gifts. When the Holy Spirit gives you a gift, you can't help but be changed by using it. You'll become a leaner, meaner Christian. You'll get strong. Strong in your faith and strong in your convictions. And thus we move from glory to glory, coming closer and closer to the design that God intended for us and intends for us. I tell you what, there is a day coming when everything will come under Christ's rule. His headship. He knows he's the king of creation and he knows where his throne is and he knows he's going to sit on it. And what a gorgeous day that's going to be. You know my favourite day in history? It's not in the past, it's in the future. Somewhere on God's calendar, there's a day 
where I commit my last ever sin. And from that day on, it's over, it's done with. The day that Christ's work in me is fully completed. And there's a day for each of you. There's a day coming when you don't have to worry about that anymore, where you don't have to apologise anymore because there's nothing to apologise for. This is because we have been transformed into new creations. We are no longer sinners, per se, but we are saints. I say this because the label sinner is an identity, okay? So is saint, and it's worth just asking where your identity lay. Now, I can bake bread. Tell you the story, I can bake bread. I can't bake cakes very well. They turn out pancakes. Um, there's, there's something in the fluffiness that I miss. But I can bake bread, and I can bake a pie. But I'm not a baker. I don't have a bakery. My life doesn't revolve around baking. It's just something I sometimes do when I want those sorts of things for dinner. Likewise, I'm not a sinner. Yes, I stuff up. Yes, I stumble. But my life doesn't revolve around sin. It's not what I'm about anymore. Haven't been about it for a long time. So I don't call myself a sinner. Because that's not what my life is. It's not my vocation. I don't wake up in the wee hours of the morning thinking, what can I get up to today? You know, tax time comes around. I'm not thinking, what loopholes can I defraud the government with now? You know, I'm not thinking, how can I cheat people? Get a little extra. I don't think like that anymore. In fact, I became a Christian when I was a kid, so I don't think I've ever thought like that. So it's not that we don't sin, but we don't enjoy it the way we might once have done. You know, there are some people who walk down the street and they undress people with their eyes, and we don't do that anymore, if we ever did. It's not something that's part of us. And so though we may stumble from time to time, because old habits die hard, or we might be incompetent in an area, or we might have a moment of weakness, we don't wallow in it. We don't say, oh, well, I'm throwing in the towel now. I stuffed up, may as well give up forever. But instead, we press on towards the goal that Christ has set for us heavenward. And anyone who does that is no longer a sinner, whatever else may happen, but is a saint, one whose life revolves around holiness, who seeks holiness, who gets up in the wee hours of the morning and says, what good thing can I do today? What can I do to put a smile on God's dial today? That's a saint. And there is the change that takes place where once we sinned long and often, occasionally broken by some wonderful act of virtue, now we practice holiness long and often, broken only occasionally by a stumble. All this is only possible because God planned it in the beginning and Christ fulfilled it on the cross. Now the sin problem is taken care of and we are free to choose holiness. That bias towards sin that once plagued us has been replaced by the Holy Spirit which provides a bias towards righteousness. 
so that we might indeed be holy as he is holy. Our sin is nailed to the cross. Let it be dead and buried. Covered over by God's lavish grace, it can stay in the grave. For this was the will of God from the beginning, that we should be holy for the praise of his glory, and that Christ should be the head of not just the church, but all of heaven and all of earth. And he will rule and reign, and Revelation says it will last a thousand years. In a sense, the church is the model of what is to come when Christ rules. We are the down payment for this planet. Be holy then according to God's original plan and be equipped by every spiritual gift that he offers. If you lack, then ask him who is a generous father. I mean, if my sons ask for a sandwich, I'm hardly going to give them a bag of rocks, am I? If they want a drink, I don't give them poison. So if I... Flawed as I am can give good gifts to my kids. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? If I could paraphrase Jesus in Luke's Gospel there for a minute. So if you lack, ask him who is generous. Work to establish the kingdom of God on earth so that all of God's possessions, those who are yet to be saved, might be returned to him. And if you lack any equipment in that, see a minister about it depending on their area of ministry. Go and make some disciples. I don't know how you turn your phone off, Dad. Push the blue button. G'day, folks. This is Pastor Stuart from Wattle City Church in uh, Victoria, Australia. We pray you've really been blessed as you listen to the message today. And if you want to check out more sermons or messages from uh, WCC, just jump onto Spotify or Anchor or a whole bunch of podcast platforms and search for Wattle City Church. And, um, yeah, more blessings to come. Good on you, folks. Have a great day. Keep praising the Lord. Amen.